Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, March 14th, 2021. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we see ordinary objects all the time, but do we really see them? I'm about to show you a dozen ordinary objects, but they're taken from extremely close up. And let's see how well you can identify what these ordinary objects actually are. Are you ready? Here we go. All right, what is this? Now remember, extremely close up view. It is stem on an apple. All right, what about this one? What does that look like? Yep, a red ballpoint pen. Of course, looking from the end of the pen. Uh, what is this? Now, this is a kind of a tough run, tough one. And no, it's not the taste bugs on your tongue. It's the inside of a yellow bell pepper. All right, what's this? It's the pages of an old book. Okay, what about this? Look very closely. Yep, that's a cigarette, seen from the end of the cigarette. Uh, what is this? Now, when I first saw this, to me, it looked like uh, a snake skin, the head with the nose and the mouth and the eyes. Uh, but actually, it's just a cornflake. You may have even eaten some of those this morning. All right, what is this? It's all twisty and metally. This is the headstock on a guitar. Don, I threw this one in just for you. Yeah. Uh, okay. What about this? Ooh, this one is a really tough one. This is actually the tip of a felt marker. Oh, man. All right. What about this? Here's another one on the slightly easier side. Yep. This is the tip of a paintbrush. There we go. All right. What's this? Some kind of fiber optic cable? Nope. Just a piece of spaghetti seen really close up. Okay. Two more. What is this? Hmm. Possibly an imperfect diamond before it's polished. Yeah? Uh, no. Just a grain of sugar. You may have dumped some of that in your coffee this morning. Who knows? Okay. Last one. What? is this. Obviously, it's a fishing line, right, that's all tangled up, or a bunch of fishing lines. Uh, no, it's actually a tea bag. That's what a tea bag looks like extremely close up. Well, welcome to the fourth week in our Lenten sermon series entitled, Come and See, Jesus in the Gospel of John. Now, we're not just counting down the weeks until Easter, but we're using this time to prepare our hearts and minds and souls for the incredible gift of Jesus' resurrection. Lent has traditionally been a time in the Christian church. Uh, well, it started in, in 325 with the Council of Nicaea. And it's a time for personal reflection and sacrifice and spiritual renewal. 
in the series, we have been journeying with Jesus through the Gospel of John. And it began with a simple invitation of Jesus to his first disciples to come and see. And then we've followed his encounters with two women, a Samaritan woman and an unnamed woman being used as a pawn by the religious leaders to get at Jesus. Today, we get to encounter a man who was born blind. Reverend Fred Craddock had a wonderful perspective on why Jesus in the Gospel of John is so unique. He writes this. In the Gospel of John, you're looking at Jesus from above. He knows he is from God and goes again to God. Therefore, you don't have the temptation in the wilderness. You don't have the agony in Gethsemane. You don't have a cry of dereliction. Why have you forsaken me? He takes care of business on the cross. He said to Judas, go ahead and play your role in the drama. Jesus is totally in charge. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down and I pick it up. I love this insight because today's story is about blindness and sight. And we're going to have to wrestle with the notion of just who it is that can see and who can't see. Stories of Jesus giving sight to a blind man are found in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This particular account in the Gospel of John has all the makings of a one-act play in six scenes. There's a saying among baseball fans, you can't tell the players without a scorecard. Well, here's who you need to be paying attention to in today's story. There's at least 12, if not more, disciples, uh, a crowd of nosy neighbors, some Pharisees, two parents, the man that was born blind, and, of course, Jesus himself. And remember, all along this journey together, we have to be looking for and paying attention to who is blind and who can see. John chapter 9, the first two verses. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. Now, this seems like a strange question to us today, but in Jesus's day, um, physical illness was seen not only as a sign of a person's sin, but also the sins of parents were often seen as being visited upon their children, uh, especially when it comes to the issue of human suffering. Cynthia Jarvis, in her commentary on this passage in Feasting on the Gospels, remarks this, Of course the disciples asked this question, because that's how their eyes have been formed, how the world has taught them to see. In fact, it's it's really not that much different than ministers being asked today, um, what did I do wrong, pastor, that my daughter is dying? Why did God allow my grandson to become paralyzed? What did he do to offend God? Or what happened in my pregnancy that caused my child to be born with Down syndrome? By the way, there is nothing that a woman does during pregnancy that can influence whether or not her child will have Down syndrome. Anyway, this question by the disciples is the same reasoning behind someone today attributing a tragedy to being, well, I guess it was just God's will. You've heard me say this before, but that's not what I believe as a pastor. And we're about to discover that's not what Jesus believes either. Verses 3 to 5. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. 
He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So illness, sickness, infirmity, disease, they are not about sin or God's will. Sometimes things just happen without explanation. But God can use all things for good, including blindness. And Jesus gives us a little, a little foreshadowing uh, here as to how this man's life is about to bring God glory. Verse 6 and 7. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went out and washed and came back able to see. Now, notice that the blind man doesn't ask Jesus if he can be healed, nor does Jesus have any sort of conversation uh, with this man about what's about to take place. No, he just makes a little uh, uh, mud spittle mask for the man's eyes, smears it on him, and then sends him on his way. It must have been quite a shocking experience for this blind guy, to say the least. Now, the pool of Siloam, uh, back in Jesus' day, was the largest public washing pool in the first century in Israel. And in 2004, archaeologists accidentally discovered where this pool was located while they were working to repair a large water pipe south of Jerusalem's Temple Mount. Here's what a portion of it looks like today. Now, last week we spoke about the festival of tabernacles where priests brought water from a spring back up to the temple each day for seven days and they poured it out on the altar as a reminder of God's provision for them while they were in the wilderness. Well, the pool of Siloam is where they went to get that water to bring back to the temple. The man was sent to a pool whose name means sent. And after he came back, And after he washed and came back, he had the ability to see. It was an amazing miracle. And as as you might imagine, it caused quite commotion, but not exactly the way you would have expected. Verses 8 and 9. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some were saying, yeah, it's he. Others were saying, no, but it's someone that looks like him. He kept saying, "Uh, I am the man. Now, these are the nosy neighbors that I warned you about earlier. Barbara Brown Taylor, in a sermon entitled A Tale of Two Heretics, notices what the neighbors don't say after this miracle. Not a living soul says, Alleluia, or praise God. No, not, no one even asks him what it's like to, to see for the first time in his entire life, or, or whether the light hurt his eyes. No, all they do is, is argue and get into this debate of whether or not it's really the blind guy, or, or just someone who looks like him. Uh, no pun intended. No wonder they had questions. The truth is, when one encounters Jesus, he or she is made into a new creation. Paul says so in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away and everything is made new. Here, the man who was formerly blind lives that out in his own body. And just like the creation story in Genesis 2, when God formed humankind out of the clay of the earth, Jesus takes clay and forms new eyes for the man. 
and nothing will ever be the same again for him. Now, every good story has to have uh, some antagonists, right? Enter the Pharisees, verses 13 to 15. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received the sight. He said to them, uh, he put mud on my eyes. Then I washed, and now I see. Pharisees were the Jewish religious leaders back in the day. Their job was to help people keep the laws of Moses. They believed that if every Israelite kept all of the 613 laws in in the Old Testament for just one 24-hour period, then God would be honored and would send the Messiah. Well, the problem in this story is the day that Jesus heals this man. Right? It was a Sabbath day. It was a sacred or holy day. And we're reminded in the Ten Commandments, uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Well, over the centuries, the rabbis had put together a list of 39 categories of types of work that were prohibited on the Sabbath, including kneading, which is what Jesus did when he spat on the ground and then rubbed the spit in with the clay to make the mud. Now, in case you think the Jewish law is heartless, it did have a a provision for anything that was a life or death matter. If it's life or death, well then, of course, you can do that on the Sabbath. But for a man who has been blind uh, since birth, Jesus easily could have waited another 24 hours, they reasoned. So obviously, Jesus was not of God. Verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, "Uh, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's what the church has been over the centuries. We have been divided over the interpretation of Scripture, theology, Ethics, those are just a few of the categories that the church has been divided on. I mean, the presence of so many different Christian denominations just within this one religion is a sad testimony to truly how divided we are. And even our own denomination, the United Methodist Church, is on the brink of another division, another split over what? Theology. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? So they figure an easy workaround to the situation would be if they could prove that, no, he wasn't really blind to begin with. So the religious leaders call in his parents to interrogate them. Now remember, This man was not a child or even a teenager. This was a grown man who just a few moments ago had given testimony to his own life circumstances, and they did not believe him. So, the parents. Well, they're now called to the witness stand, so to speak. Verse 20 through 22. His parents answered, "Uh, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. 
In Jesus' day, the synagogue was the center of religious life and community for the Jewish people. I mean, to be put out of the synagogue doesn't mean you get kicked out of a service. No, it means you're literally gone. You are cut off from the community. You no longer have a place in anything that happens in this community. And it became a source of tremendous shame to the entire family. But there's actually something more that's going on here. In 1979, J. Lewis Martin published what would become a seminal commentary on the Gospel of John, History and Theology in the Fourth Gospel. Now, he concluded that this story from John chapter 9 was uh, evidence that John's entire Gospel was probably written near the end of the first century CE, not earlier like Matthew, Mark, and Luke were. And, And this was written to and in a community that was being themselves expelled from the synagogue. Remember, the earliest Christians were Jewish believers in Jesus, right? And this caused quite a bit of conflict between the non-Jesus believers who were also Jewish. I mean, so much so that John's community of believers themselves were being kicked out of the synagogue and the fellowship from which they were raised. Now, neither in Jesus' day nor in the earliest years of the church was there any uh, record of any official action in Judaism in which Christian groups were being cast out. But that happened after the Council of Jamnia near the end of the first century. It was an amazing insight uh, that Dr. Martin realized. So when John's community is being is telling the story, retelling the story of the man born blind and and the threat of he and his family being expelled from the synagogue, that's their story. I mean, that's, that's what they were living with and experiencing firsthand. Now, we're going to come back to this point at the end of the message, but it's good to know that Jesus stands with those who are being marginalized, especially, are you ready for this? Especially those who are marginalized because of religion. Verses 24 and 25. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I can see. You see, the problem is the religious leaders can't seem to let this go. So they call the man back one more time to interrogate him again. The reality is, however, they have already made up their minds. Jonathan Haidt, in his book, The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion, mentioned something called the confirmation bias. It was formulated by Peter Wason in 1960, and it's the tendency to seek out and interpret new evidence in ways that confirm what you already think, that you're not really open to new insight and learning at all. In fact, psychologists have now filed cabinets full of findings on motivational reasoning, showing the many tricks that we humans use to reach conclusions that we already want to reach. I mean, not to start meddling or anything, but that may be why some of us will only watch Fox News or CNN News or whatever our media of choice may be. The Pharisees didn't want to learn anything new. They wanted to confirm what they already believed. 
verse 26 and following. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've, I've told you already, and, and you would not listen. Why, why, do you, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be his disciples? Then they reviled the man, saying, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. You see, the, the problem here is that the Pharisees aren't too keen on this nobody from nowhere telling him what's what, right? And they're refu he's refusing to submit to their authority. They are the religious leaders. In fact, up until about 45 minutes or so ago, this guy was just a blind sinner that no one would have given a second thought for, and now he's about to teach them, oh, I don't think so. Nevertheless, this man obviously does not have the fear of the religious leaders that his parents do. Verses 30 to 33, the man answered, <laughs> well, here's the astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. And we know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Well, you go, guy. <laughs> wow. How is that for testimony mixed in with theological teaching? This man has literally become a new creation, friends. And the Spirit of God seems to be empowering him to give witness to the remarkable grace, the, dare we say, amazing grace that has befallen him on this day. Verse 34, the religious leaders answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and you're trying to teach us? And they drove him out. When their backs were pushed against the wall by this upstart theologian, what do the religious leaders hold on to? What's that ace up their sleeve that they pull out, the very thing that Jesus had already refuted when the disciples asked him about the blind man way back in verse 2. They equate his blindness to sin, and they want nothing more to do with him ever again. So this formerly blind man is on his own now. Awesome. Wow. And we get ready for the final scene in this one-act drama. Right? Let's, let's pause for a moment to reflect back on the question that we started out with at the very beginning. Just who it is, who is it that is blind and who can see? The disciples? The nosy neighbors? The religious leaders? I mean, the invitation of Jesus to come and see has become a decision to not see at all. In fact, as the one who was previously blind has come to see, both literally and spiritually, it's been the opposite road for the religious leaders. They've moved from sight to blindness, and they're not done yet. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found him, Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Son of man was a name for the Messiah that Jews knew 
the one who was coming. What a progression of faith for this man, right? When he was first asked by the Pharisees, he simply identified Jesus as the man who had healed him. When his neighbors questioned about uh, the incident, he said that Jesus was a prophet. And then during the uh, religious leader's second interrogation, he called Jesus a miracle worker from God. And now, face to face with Jesus himself, he testifies to him as what? Lord. What an amazing progression of faith. This man has truly gained both physical and spiritual sight. Barbara Brown Taylor, in her wonderful uh, collection of sermons, Home by the Other Way, by Another Way, has a sermon on this story called A Tale of Two Heretics. Of course, the two heretics she identifies in the sermon are the formerly blind man who was uh, banned by the religious authorities at being a sinner, and Jesus, who was also deemed heretical by those same leaders because he healed on the Sabbath. And here, she says, is the wonderful story of one heretic finding another. That's what this last scene in this one-act play is all about. Jesus seeks out the man after he is expelled from the faith community. And Taylor writes this. Who are the guardians of the faith? The fully initiated, law-abiding, pledge-paying, creed-saying, theologically correct people who can spot a heretic a mile away? Well, according to John, these are the people to watch out for because they think they can see. Furthermore, they think they can see better than other people and that they're not shy about telling you that you're not really seeing what you think you see or that what you're seeing is just flat out wrong. They do not do this to be mean either. They do this because they love God and maybe even because they love you too. They're doing it to protect you from believing the wrong thing. Wow. I mean, if we think deeply about this, she might be talking about us. And I love the fact in the story that Jesus actively sought out the man when he became an outcast. Why? Because one of the truths of the gospel is that Jesus lives with the marginalized. Father Greg Boyle once commented, The strategy of Jesus is not centered in taking the right stand on issues, but rather standing in the right place with the outcast and those relegated to the margins. That's what Jesus did here. That's what he's doing with the man who was formerly blind. I mean, I can't help but think of many other groups that the church over the ages has marginalized and cast out our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, the incarcerated, immigrants. I mean, the list can go on and on, and I know that I'm meddling now. Verse 39. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see. And those who do see, well, they may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. I love how Barbara Brown Taylor wraps up this story. She says, the Pharisees were so sure of everything. 
that God did not work on Sundays, that Moses was God's only spokesman, that anyone born blind had to be a sinner, and ditto for anyone who broke the Sabbath, that God did not work through sinners, that God did not work on sinners, and that furthermore, no one could teach them anything. Meanwhile, the man born blind, who was not sure about anything, he was the only one who eventually saw the light. That's so true. Now, are you ready for something truly shocking and quite possibly revolutionary? What does Jesus say about sin here? Did you catch that? Sin isn't the presence of illness or violation of the law. Sin is resistance to Jesus. Sin is resistance to Jesus. The disciples and the Pharisees both saw sin as a moral category, right? Relating to what one or one's parents did. Biblical scholar Gail R. O'Day notes that this entire story in John chapter 9 redefines sin, not by what one does, but almost exclusively by one's relationship to Jesus. By whether or not one believes that God is present in the life of and ministry of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, she writes, salvation from sin is primarily a result of Jesus' life, not his death. From the Johannine perspective, it is not the Christian community's responsibility, just as it was not the Pharisees' responsibility, to judge anyone's sins, because the determination of sin rests with God and Jesus and the individual. And it is determined by faith, not actions. The Gospel of John is thus the most radical example of salvation by grace anywhere in the New Testament. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now and found was what? Blind. But now I see. It's a shocking revelation, isn't it? That according to John, sin isn't what we do or don't do. Sin is all about whether or not we have opened up our lives and our heart to Jesus. Or do we allow theology, doctrine, and other religious matters to cloud our sight? Truly. Faith in Jesus is all that matters, at least according to John's gospel. And that's, man, that's a hard thing for some of us to see, isn't it? It's kind of like looking at a teabag so up close, we just don't know what to make of it. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. But be forewarned. Like the man who was born blind, you will never be the same again. Everything changes when you encounter Jesus. Everything. And awesome. Wow. Thanks be to God. Amen.